I'm Tyler Hake, and you're listening to Season 2, Episode 1 of Next Story Up, a smart building services podcast by Schneider Electric. Act 1, our laminated mission statement. This June, I flew into the Minneapolis airport and followed the signs to the rideshare pickup area to await my lift. I'm a loyal Lyft user because they have a corporate initiative to offset the carbon emissions of all their rides. And for the first tangent of the new season, I'd like to note that this type of consumer behavior isn't unique. It extends into decisions that many millions of people make daily, ranging from what kind of coffee they should drink in the morning, to where they should stay when they're on the road, and to what company they should work for. Our choices are derived from our values, And more and more of these choices are being made in accordance with tenants like sustainability and corporate responsibility. But back to the story at hand, and more concretely to the bottom line of the now public Lyft organization, my loyalty netted them a grand total of 32 rides in the month of June. But I'll chiefly remember one of those rides, and I'm choosing to memorialize it here because of the experience that was provided to me by a Midwestern retiree named Bob. I don't know much about Bob, But he did help me realize that one thing both a Lyft driver who takes pride in his work and a podcaster releasing his sophomore season have in common is that they both need to ask themselves questions like, how do you provide a unique journey? How are you different? How do you get better? How do you cut through the noise and get noticed? And how do you get people what they want? He helps me realize this with a laminated document that presented his answer to those questions as a manifesto of sorts awaiting in the back seat. With this document, Bob was showing his work. He was prepared to quickly and easily help me understand what I could expect from the ride, what the ground rules were for our time together, a little bit about who he was as a person, and what his intention was for the journey, all while giving me the license to center the trip around making my experience better however I requested. Here's the letter waiting for every one of Bob's passengers. Welcome to your lift. Please fasten your seatbelt. Thank you for riding with me today. There are a few things you should know. I use Google Maps for navigation. Sometimes it suggests strange routes to avoid congestion. It has more data on current traffic than I do. But if you have a preferred route to your destination, or you know that Google doesn't leave you where it should, please let me know. You're probably hearing BB King's Bluesville or Deep Tracks on the radio. But if you'd like to try something else, any serious XM channel is available. So is The Current at 89.3, which is the local indie rock station, as well as Classical 99.5 from Minnesota Public Radio and 91.1 from NPR News. If the volume isn't appropriate, please let me know. Need your phone charged? If you've got a cable, let's plug it in. You'll find some lifesaver mints in the pouch ahead of you. Help yourself. After the ride, you'll be asked for an evaluation. I love to get comments. I get an email with them every Friday morning. They are not traceable to the rider, so please feel free to honestly share. My goal is to get you to your destination safely and efficiently. If there's anything I can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Bob. There are so many things I love about this note. What causes the most anxiety for you when you're paying for someone else to drive you around? I'll bet it's the route. Bob immediately dissuades that fear and invites you into the process. 
Describing his approach for not pulling one over on you is the very first thing he does as your driver. Bob then tells you something personal about himself by letting you know about his taste in music. He opens up as a human being with likes and interests before providing you the authority to express yours. He tells you the local channel for indie rock, not because he likes indie rock, who knows, maybe, but because his rider demographic will have a higher tendency to make that request. Need your phone charged? Let's plug it in. Let's. Me and you, Ryder, we're in this together. It sounds weird, but I've definitely left chargers, mints, and waters that I've wanted or needed untouched in lift rides before simply because I felt uncomfortable imposing that they might be for me. Bob not only tells us that he loves to get comments, but he tells us when and how he receives them. He even paints the picture that he reads them every Friday morning and explains that they tell him how he's doing. I don't know about you, but I never ever thought about that, and I never left a comment just to leave one. I did for Bob. And lastly, his mission statement. My goal is to get you to your destination safely and efficiently. If there's anything I can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Bob is putting the customer first. What if we all applied this to our endeavors? Welcome to season two of Next Story Up. Your time is valuable. Our episodes are designed to be entertaining. We're not here to talk about deep technical processes and we'll never directly pitch specific products or services. We will, however, always provide a program in under 40 minutes. The episodes are also broken into consumable acts so that they can more effectively accompany you on your own time, whether that's during your commute, while you're at the gym, while you're in the kitchen, or whatever works best for you when listening to podcasts. Personally, I listen to all sorts of podcasts on the metro and while walking to the gym, and this series takes inspiration from many of those. I use iTunes to listen to my podcasts, the little purple button on your iPhone, but there are all sorts of podcast apps, and Spotify is also a great way to listen to podcasts now. If headphones aren't your thing, stream us over your voice assistant. This season, like the first season, will only be eight episodes. We will be releasing a new episode every Tuesday morning between now and Tuesday, October 29th, at which point we'll begin preparing for season three. One thing that will be different about me between now and the end of the season is that by the final episode, I'll be a married man. One thing that will be different about this season from the last is that we'll focus half the episodes on specific building segments and also bring in our first few guests from outside of Schneider Electric. If you're new to the program and like what you hear today and during this season, we think the eight episodes in the first season would be great to revisit as well. As I mentioned, episodes are comprised of acts. In Act 1, I'll always start with a dialogue about something that at first glance will seem unrelated to smart buildings, with the goal of providing a metaphor to our industry in a way that can make it more relatable. A lot of times these touch on things that have caught my attention or are personally important to me. The second act is an interview with someone or someones who can offer greater expertise on the topic at hand than I ever could alone. If you stick around through the end, you'll always hear some music I like to play us out, and then typically a fun cut of the interview at the very end to send you on your way. There are lots of ways you can engage with us, and we welcome all of them. Ratings and comments are very important for us. They help us understand what our audience likes and wants more of, and the more of these we get, the more our show will be promoted to similar audiences. Of course, you can share the series or specific episodes with friends or colleagues who might like what we're doing. The more the merrier. 
Our goal is to make the smart buildings industry more relatable and inclusive as the concepts become more important to all of us. This applies to Schneider Electric customers and current and prospective employees both. Anyone who is excited about smart buildings is welcome. Remember, we are all building occupants. Collaborating to get this future right is important to everyone. Today's episode is a first of its kind for quite a few reasons. For starters, it's our first episode of Hopefully Many featuring a thought leader from outside Schneider Electric. KP Reddy is a serial entrepreneur and the founder of Shadow Ventures, a seed stage venture capital firm focusing on disruptive technologies in tech nascent industries like the smart building space. He is also the author of What You Know About Startups Is Wrong. More on that later. Secondly, it's our first episode featuring two guests. Shana Deep Modak is the chief marketing officer for Schneider Electric North America's $7 billion business segment. He's responsible for increasing brand awareness, customer digital engagement, and revenue growth across the portfolio of Schneider Electric EcoStructure IoT solutions. He, like KP, is a resident of Atlanta, Georgia, and they joined one another for this session. Thirdly, in conjunction with the exciting launch of our new website, we have recorded this interview in full via Skype video and it's accessible on the site, which you will find linked in the episode notes. As such, the format of today's Act 2 will be different than our standard episodes, as I've selected five different snippets of the discussions between the three of us to be featured, and have inserted a brief introduction to each breakout clip. Remaining content, like Shanadeep discussing his coined term of ghost brands, will be available only via the streamed video. We'll meet KP and Shanadeep as they introduce themselves and describe their work in their own terms to open Act 2. Act 2. It's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day hard work of running a business and completely forget that while solving problems and building something you can be proud of, you also have an incredible opportunity to shape the future. Even better, you have the chance to meet amazing people and do amazing things along the way. Colin Wright. And with that, let's dive right into the conversation with KP and Shanadeep. So I wanted to get a season two kicked off with a bang and contacted Shanadeep Modak, who is the CMO for North America for Schneider Electric. And the very first thing that he said was, I'd like to have KP Reddy in as a guest. So Shanadeep, if you could maybe start by telling us a little bit about why you thought KP would be a great guest for us today, I think that would be an awesome place to start. And then we can allow KP to describe some of the things he does, who he is, and, and Shadow Ventures. Tom, thank you very much. And, you know, I've become a big fan of your uh, Next Story Up podcast already, so I'm, I'm, li- I'm looking forward to the new season here. Your, your story about the Lyft experience is exactly what we're trying to embody and the transformation of Schneider Electric in terms of how we go to market and really building a, a view of customers that's focused more on the outcomes and the needs versus the products that we sell. And so we've been doing a lot of work on reshaping the marketing organization around customer segments and around our channels so that we can better engage. We're doing it both physically when we think about how we're uh, creating campaigns that are working with our sales team as well as with events and other things, you know, the traditional marketing sense, but we're also doing a lot of stuff digitally. So how our customers are interacting with our website, how they're placing their orders, how we're solving problems, how they can log in and self-serve. 
These are all the things that our team is trying to do. And when you ask me about bringing a guest on board, talk about innovation and this customer experience and the change of the experience digitally, the first person that came to mind is KP Ready. What KP has done is quite remarkable, is bringing a new way of thinking for us. And uh, I thought it would be really relevant in terms of how we think about customer experience enabled by new technologies. So maybe KP, I'll introduce yourself and what you do, and, and we can go from there. I'm KP Ready. I'm the founder of Shadow Ventures and CEO, and we're a venture capital firm. What's pretty unique about us is we focus on nascent markets and things like the building industry, things like healthcare, where we believe there's still so much room for transformation and innovation, whereas a lot of other markets have already gone through transformation. We think there's these nascent markets that still have a huge, huge opportunity. And part of that has been not just writing a check, but also providing counsel and hands-on experience and really kind of fulfilling this aspirational notion. We believe successful companies like Schneider have success, but they aspire to do more. They aspire to be more innovative. And it's very hard to do it yourself. So in many ways, we're that catalyst. So whether it's an entrepreneur that's aspiring to be successful and have the big exit, we're helping with that, whether it's a corporate that's trying to be just that much better, as well as our investors that are looking for better returns. So we we believe we dovetail well with people that have high aspirations, but also recognize that they can't get there on their own. I think um, describing the building space as a as room for nascent technology is really exciting to me. You know, I work for a really large company, and even to work for a really large company that's in a space that has so much room to grow where folks are doing venture capital and nascent technologies is, is, is inspiring. And I think it's actually fitting that you all are talking to me from a WeWork today, which is a pretty decent example of some people that have found some ways to use buildings in a different way than people may have in, envisioned it before. Now let's learn about what building information modeling, or BIM, has to do with Minecraft and how it's yet another indication of tech attracting and retaining talent in our industry. As well as an underexplored crazy reality about constructing a building, and why a fair comparison can be made between construction and the film industry. You know, the interesting thing about BIM has been it's been around for a minute. You know, what we've seen is now you have a generational shift where you have new people coming to the industry that if it wasn't for BIM, they might not be in this industry. If they were to draw that detail by hand in CAD, they would feel like it's an archaic industry versus you know, we have a little bit of a Minecraft generation that's coming through now that think about spatial things and 3D. And so BIM has been, I think, while there's still plenty of room for the adoption and optimization in the industry, there's so much room and so much headroom left in terms of the leverage BIM. What I've really been excited about is it's, it's been a great way for us to attract and retain people in our industry that they would have done their first job and realized how boring it was yeah. and then left. Whereas they come in and do BIM, they're like, yeah, I'm virtually building things in a computer. Like, that's cool. You know, they can go home and share with their friends the cool stuff they're doing. So I think BIM's kind of made the industry cool again. There's a couple things that you mentioned there that really get my attention. One is, you know, I don't know near as much about startups as you do, but I know that timing is really important. And with BIM being something that, as you mentioned, has been around for a little while, it's interesting to see how that's being rejuvenated with a new generation that's coming through that might look at that and use it differently. I think that's a fascinating point, matching up a technology with timing. And then the second is this idea of a Minecraft generation and how different ways that a generation might interface with the world or spend their time ultimately will affect what drives them in the workforce and what they find value in. 
and maybe create some value for startups that are trying to harness that because you're focusing on user, in this case, experience. One of the things that we love and struggle with the building industry, right? If you think about a building and designing construction, it is the largest product purchase you will ever make sight unseen. Yeah. If you're building a hospital, you're spending $250 million to buy something that you haven't been able to touch, feel, smell, experience, any of it. I mean, it's kind of craziness if you think about it. Yeah. You know, we, we have to go on and go out and try on 10 shirts before we buy one, and that's a $20 purchase. Yeah. Right? A $250 million purchase, we don't get to know anything about it other than historically what's been a set of drawings, which, uh, quite honestly, most people don't know how to process that and visualize that. So what we've really seen that I think is fascinating is you have BIM and the quality of visualization going on, and now you have things like VR and AR which if you're a 50-year-old job super project superintendent, you may not walk around a job site with the headset on. But if you're a 25-year-old superintendent, you are very comfortable walking around with a VR headset on to understand what you're building. And if you think about our industry, people like to make it look like buildings and construction are like manufacturing. Yeah. Whereas building, we're really more like the movie industry. Everybody shows up and works on a project, under their own brand, they do the project together, and then they move on to the next one. And they act like every project they're working on is, is a new, like they don't know anything. <laughs> so it's like this Groundhog Day effect. So if you look at visualization and technology as a way that really cuts down all errors in communication, it's a massive transformational thing. We did studies back in the day that said 20% of a construction job ends up in the construction dumpster. Wow. So if, you stand, if we can just cut that waste, you could give a home to everybody on the planet. Wow. Right. Cut it from 20% to 15%. We're still going to mess things up. <laughs> um, all of a sudden, think about global impact. Think about it. So as much as we're innovating the process and how we get communication done, because you have a bunch of people running out, you have 70 or 80 entities going out to build something that's never been seen before. And everybody's kind of crossing their fingers, hoping it goes well. Bringing up AR and VR right there is really important because even for me, and I've been in the industry for 10 years, there's almost a stigma around it in that it's it seems so different than what we've done. And it almost seems so futuristic that it's like, I don't know how aggressive people champion it. But what you're saying makes a ton of sense because you're already seeing people make purchases with the use of AR uh, and VR. So you mentioned clothes. I know people are looking at developing smart mirrors that allow you to try clothes on in retail. Furniture is something that people are now using AR, putting it up against a wall, kind of seeing how it looks before they purchase it. So it makes all the sense in the world and actually far more sense due to the size that you're talking about for a construction project. Next, let's discuss the one true customer in the building's technology industry and gain VC insight on the required ethos and philosophy for startups in today and tomorrow's smart building environment. There's an interesting dynamic that's evolved with technology optimizing everything. It's no longer B2B, it's no longer B2C, like that's not how it is. You know, I, I wrote a blog post on H to H. It's all human to human. And if you think about the Schneider suite of products, the idea of the customer is the building owner isn't really true anymore. The customer is the user. If you're selling into a restaurant, it's like, how are you delivering an experience to that customer coming into the restaurant, not the restaurant owner? So we're having to learn how to adapt because it used to be, 
well, if, if this hospital buys my product, perfect. That's all I care about because they're the customer. Well, it's not really the hospital that's your customer. It's the patient. It's the physicians. It's the nurses and the practitioners. They are really your customer. And really, the, the hospital owner is just a, a willing participant. And so how you think about experience has to get pushed downstream to the end user. So how do you create an experience that's positive and, and always top of mind? And, and, and that's a challenge for everybody. And I think it, it's changing how you think about markets. Spend more time with doctors, not with the building managers, right? Yeah. For that idea. So is that the type of thing that you encourage your startup founders to do? I mean, because so we've got segments that are hospitals, as you mentioned, there are segments that are hotels, there are segments that are commercial office buildings. All of them have occupants, but all of those occupants have different expectations when they're in that space. Do you encourage your founders to focus on a segment in particular? Our industry is massive. Right. And, you know, I get every startup pitch deck every day, you know, and it's like, oh, we're going after a trillion dollar market. Yep. If we can only get one percent, we'd be billionaires. Right. It's like, OK, that's cute. Yep. Um, how much in resources do you have to do market, you know, customer acquisition? And if you don't narrow that down, you can't spend a half a million dollars to go after a market and go after three markets. You know, if you're going to go after, oh, we're going to go after all buildings. Well, OK, half a million dollars doesn't get you very far. If you say yeah, I'm going to go after hospitals still doesn't get you very far. You might have to say, we're going after hospitals in Georgia, yep. and then maybe you're aligned with your resources. So with startups, we joke around, like, it's my job to fight the optimism, yep. right? <laughs> yep. It's the, oh, no, we'll, we'll sell a trillion dollars, and we're the best. Like, you know, so part of my job is to say, no, there, there's, a, there's quite a matching resources with the markets you're going after. It's massive. We try to really help them understand that to be successful, you have to align your resources well. You can't fake it. You, you've got to really understand it. If you were to launch a startup that is defensible in the building space today, what are the portions of the industry? What, what niches are most attractive to you right now and get you excited about what people are doing in the space? Yeah, the industry, you know, we've got our challenges, right? We have labor shortages. Yep. Right now, there's still plenty of backlog of work to be done, I actually believe. You know, part of my job as a venture capitalist is I spend an hour a day, two hours a day studying economic data and trying to predict what I think may or may not happen to protect our investments. And one of the things that we see is like there's still plenty of backlog. We also think that there's a backlog shelf with institutional projects that have been priced out because of the frothiness that have been put on hold. So even if some of these larger commercial projects fall through through any kind of economic blip, we still think there's hospitals, there's schools, there's universities that have backlog. They, they can't even get people to bid on projects. These are so frothy. So if you look at the continued labor prices that we have in our industry and just enlightenment around waste, we're all starting to understand it's not about necessarily recycling our plastics. It's these buildings that consume tons of resources. So what we really are trying to understand is how can you do things that are not single threaded? So if I look at a startup and you say, hey, I can solve one problem. That's interesting. Tell me what it means on a macro level. Tell me what you're going to do to change the world. The other thing we look at is if you're highly successful, name the three companies that'll lose. Like the idea of creative destruction is yeah. super important when you're when you're a VC because at the end of the day there's kind of finite dollars and someone has to lose, right? There someone's got to lose. And if you're doing the right things, someone will lose. What is customer discovery? 
and why is it like law and order? And what are the unique challenges it provides to startups and large corporations? I teach a few classes on market research. And one of the things we talk about is macro data, census data, all that stuff. That's all great data, but that's really more of a compass, right? It's not a roadmap. It gives you direction. But real customer discovery is like Google Maps. You're going to take a bunch of left turns, right turns, right turns. You're going to get lost. And hopefully you get to where you need to go. And that requires a heavy lift. You know, in startup world, they call it customer discovery. I call it customer interrogation. Okay. And what I coach my startups, and I tell them, like, go home and binge watch Law & Order. Watch Law & Order over and over again. When they get the criminal in the box, they don't say, hey, we think you're guilty of this crime. And they say, oh, sure, thanks. You're right. You caught me. <laughs> handcuffs, right? It's all about catching people in a lie. It's all about interrogating them. And what I really encourage them is if you go to doctors and say, wouldn't you like to see more patients? The answer is going to be yes. Wouldn't you like to see better patient outcomes? The answer is yes. That's part of that startup optimism. So it's really about how do you interrogate the market and the, and the customers and the users in a way to kind of catch them in a lie. And that's different and there's a creativity and can't be done through a survey monkey like that's not how that works right and that's the way you find authentic demand what we find is with large companies there's a head fake right there's so much brand equity there's so much distribution there's so much existing customers you can launch a product that's subpar generate 50 million in revenue just because it's you're a big battleship right you find out later like oh that wasn't actually a good product, right? Because there was no authentic demand because we didn't ask the right questions. And I think large companies really struggle with that because there is a head fake that happens because a startup sold $50 million in its first year, they'd be thrilled, but it's a lot of work to get there. So they actually have to have organic and authentic demand. And I think the challenge with larger companies is you get early signaling that you have a winner and then maybe you don't. We conclude Act 2 by revisiting Act 1 and discussing the value of a core mission statement before sending us out with the same question we always propose, and one hell of an answer. Before I let you guys go, I've got two questions. One's specific to this episode, and, and another one is kind of what I like to ask everybody as, as I'm leaving the, the, the show. But, you know, in my intro today, I talked a lot about mission statements and, and what I discovered in the back of a, of a lift ride, and it really inspired me. And I am a big believer in mission statements. I, I think that they feature prominently in what I try to do. And I, I think that companies are successful when they do them. I, I noticed KP on your LinkedIn page, among all the other interesting things that you've got going on, like 20,000 followers and stuff like that. Uh, the first thing that you mentioned was the mission statement for Shadow Ventures, which is to invest in seed stage companies that are led by dynamic entrepreneurs focusing on changing tech nascent, which you've used that term in this interview, industries with disruptive technologies. How much does that guide you? How much should that guide the companies that you're funding, that well-defined core mission statement? It's top of mind every day. One of the things that we always contemplate is you build a thesis for a reason, you build a mission for a reason, you don't do it overnight, it iterates itself. Part of what we really look at, if we want to deliver the returns and results that our investors expect, we think we built a thesis and a system that does that. And you have to be able to go back to it. I mean, we talk about it literally every day. I mean, we talk to probably five to 10 entrepreneurs a day as a team. And that's what we're constantly asking ourselves. How does it fit? How is it being disruptive? And once again, disruptive means, some, means someone has to lose, right? There's, yep. there will, it's not five-year-old T-ball. Someone's got to win. 
And, and I think that's super important. So it helps you also differentiate between products that are going to kind of be more of a vitamin versus a painkiller. And the problem with a vitamin-like product is it's just all marketing spend. It's not about results versus a vitamin. It's all about kind of hacking the problem and delivering a real solution. Because if you have the right product in the right market, the friction of, mar- of customer acquisition should be very little. Shanadeep, you're very intentional with the way that you're laying out this, the marketing segment strategy. Do you have a, an overarching mission behind that as well, I would imagine? We're doing a lot more listening. And I think my mission would be listen and then respond with the right solution, if I could, if I could encompass, it, encompass it in a few words. And we don't do enough listening in our world in these large companies. We're too ready to, to push our product out versus the listening piece. Of it. And that's, that's a big, big change that I'm trying to drive. As a, as a podcast host, I'm a big fan of getting people to listen. <laughs> well, listen, I, I, I like to ask everybody at the end of these discussions, and, and really, thank you both for your time. It's been so informative. We really appreciate it, especially uh, KP, you joining us. I, I like to ask why my guests are excited to be professionals in the building technology industry. What makes it exciting to be in building tech uh, versus anything else? Yeah, so... I think we currently live in a world where there's not a lot of permanent, right? Apps come and go. We dispose of our phones every couple of years. Mm-hmm. And we have, to, we have to take a step back and remind ourselves the people and professionals we work with every day are literally building and shaping the planet and the world around us. There's great permanence in the things that we do, now more so than ever, right? You don't tear down a hospital every five years. But Microsoft will send you a new OS every 12 months, right? So I think we now live in a world of, you know, we're not even buying cars anymore. We're Ubering everywhere. There's there's a lot of impermanence in the world. And I think we have to always remind ourselves we work with an industry of high caliber, high ethical, smart people that are literally shaping the planet and the world around us. And that comes with great responsibility. And we all get to be part of it. It's hard not to be fired up by that. That's pretty good. Shanadeep, do you want to give it a try or what do you think? I can't stop that. I cannot stop that. I'll leave it there. Oh, man. Guys, it's it's incredible talking with you. I really do appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners are going to be excited about this. I want to thank you both uh, for joining the podcast, and, and we really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. One quick note before closing out today. KP is the best-selling author of a book called What You Know About Startups is Wrong. Including in the outro today, he describes the premise, and it's not what you think. Make sure to stay with us through the end. And when you finish with that, chew on this between now and when next we meet. Herman Melville's Captain Ahab depicted pretty vividly how a day at sea with some of our large seafaring friends can go awry in Moby Dick, as did the Decemberists in the Mariner's Revenge Song. We'll add to this canon in a slightly less dramatic, but certainly more building-focused manner, in the next Story Up. I am so excited to develop, produce, and host the Schneider Electric Next Story Up podcast and most importantly, to share it with a listener like you, possessing the same interest and passion in promoting smart building services for the benefit of all. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I'm Tyler Hake.
that you have a best-selling book as well about startups with a with a great title. It's something along the lines of what you know about startups is wrong, right? Exactly right. It, it, yeah. So I, I yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, people get my book thinking it's one thing, and it's really it's it's really more of a personal journey. You know, startups tend to live in this world where I have to work 24 hours a day, sacrifice everything, and a lot of it is my own story of like almost dying and running a startup and running myself to the ground and really trying to share with startups that, you know, this idea of the startup hustle is made up, right? If you're actually solving real problems and you're pragmatic and approach it in a, in a pragmatic way and solve real problems for customers with highly defensible solutions, you don't have to like sacrifice everything to get there. And so a lot of it's just kind of sharing my story because I think there's plenty of stories of how people made a gazillion dollars and were very successful. Right. And mine's kind of the anti that, like, here's how you can really screw up your life. Let me show you. <laughs> let me tell you all the things I messed up. Yeah. And I'll share them all with you and hopefully you learn from them.